Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 114 of Dogcast Radio. In this show, we have the second half of an interview with Cindy Marabito, author of Pitbull Nation. When people say to you, why did you pick pit bulls to rescue? Oh, yeah, because they are the ones most likely to be killed. And when I started my rescue, that was a fact. Plus, we have the Dogcast Radio News and a fiction feature. But before all that, when I spotted the Search and Rescue Dog Association of South Wales at a dog event, I grabbed the opportunity to find out more. I spoke to Liz Beaumont, who has two trainee search and rescue dogs, and Caroline Morton, who is a search and rescue dog handler, about what search and rescue actually involves. It involves the dogs going out and finding missing people, people who've gone missing for whatever reason. In what kind of location? Usually in the mountains, but we do a lot of lowland searches as well. Uh, We work with the police yeah. And assist them in finding the missing people. Yeah. So that's where the notification comes to you from, is it the police? Yes, it is, yes. Yeah. So a 999 call goes in and then they'll come to you and say, we need help finding Yes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, someone rings uh, the police and the police decide if there's a, a reason for a search to, to start. Yeah. Um, and then they call out resources as they need. And that could be mountain rescue or search and rescue dogs and whatever yeah. they need. Okay. And mountain rescue also will call in search dogs if they think a dog team is needed. Yeah. The mountain rescue teams will call us. And, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And sort of typically how many, does it depend on what the type of call is, how many dogs you send or? We would try and send the maximum number that we can. Yeah. Um, so what would that be likely to be? We have five qualified dogs in the South Wales area at the minute. Mm. So. Yeah. And so they would all go? Yes. Yeah. But we all work full time. This is, this is, you know, so it depends when we can get away from work. So we might arrive at staggered times. Yeah. Um, but we'll try and attend if we can and if we're yeah. available. So then how do you actually coordinate, you know, however many dogs, whether it's five or three or whatever, how do you coordinate in the field kind of thing? When the, when the search starts, you have a, a police search manager and you have also a, a search manager for mountain rescue and he would coordinate how many resources he needs and how many search teams he needs according to the size of area we're given to search. Yeah. And, and then do you stay in touch with each other as you go out? We're on radio communications all the time. Yeah, yeah. So then once you're there and you know where you're supposed to be searching, how do you actually go about that? Well, you look at... Um, this is the basis how the dogs are trained. The dogs are trained on wind scent. Um, so you search the areas, the dogs get the maximum amount of um, scent coming off the wind um, and hope that they would pick up the scent of a missing person and, and then be able to finish and find them. Yeah. So do you have to have an object that belongs to the missing person or they just... No, you don't. No, they will alert on human scent. Yeah. So they could alert on walkers or anybody else that is in the area. Yeah. They should find whoever is in the area. Yeah. So you may find some people that are surprised <laughs> to be yes, being looked for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Don't worry, we aren't looking for you. <laughs> okay. So, um, how do, how do the dogs and, and handlers become part of the team? Where do you get the dogs from? Each individual person finds their own dog. So some people have them from a puppy. Uh, some people have rescue dogs. We have rescue dogs. Hmm. Um, they don't necessarily have to be purebred. They can be crossbred. Um, yeah. So. What are the breeds or mixes on the team at the moment? They t- uh, predominantly collies, I suppose. We've got uh, GSP, um, Vimeron Cross, uh, Labrador, hmm. Labrador Cross, Spaniel, Spaniel, yeah. 
Ollie Cross, Australian Shepherd, German Shepherd. So what are the qualities you're looking for in a dog? What makes a good search and rescue dog? Yeah, there's two bits to it, isn't it? You've got to, have, you've got to be athletic enough to cope with the terrain. Mm. So, so you've got to have a dog that fills into fitness range and can jump over rocks, cover the ground, things like that. So you need to think about what they're going to be searching. So you've got your physical attributes, but then you've also got their need to want to work for long periods of time. That need, and as Liz said, that play drive, they've got to... They could be working four or five hours and find nothing, and they're still going to want to be out there looking so it's that is the other key bit that they they've got to be dogs that really want to go out there and please yeah, yeah. Um, not just play with ball for 10 minutes they're gonna to have to wait for five hours before they even find one <laughs> so that's the other side so it takes a lot of focus doesn't it i mean mm. i can see i can see how the border collies excel at that but like my lab i've got a lab and he sort of 10 minutes and he'd be like right can we do something else now so that um that, it's a lot of focus to yes to they have to be picked specifically for their drive they need a very high play drive They've got to work for a long time before they get their reward. Yeah. Yes. So they only get the reward when they find a human. That's the. Yeah. yeah. Whether that's a walker or. Hmm. Yeah. And then, hmm. then you, if it's obviously a walker, you move on to. Yeah. Yeah. Still yes. looking for the, the. Yeah, that's it. I mean, Kate here is, is one of our bodies, and, and all our dogs learn that everybody hiding has a toy that's all they there's no more magic they don't know that person's missing and vulnerable and in danger no. you think well everyone's got my toy yeah. so it is it's crucial that everyone really plays yeah. with that dog okay let, let, let's talk about the training then how do you start the training start very little um you if it's a young dog they, they see the person running away and then maybe dropping behind a tree or dropping behind an yeah. obstacle and they just run out like mad and then find that toy on that person and you're looking 50 yards no more than that yeah. and then obviously you extend it and extend it yeah. um, but it's that association if I find someone I will have the best game of my life yeah. and you're building it in from, from very yeah. young so it's done by sight initially to give them a, a very quickly but then you're moving on to using to, their nose mm. by, by just obscuring their vision and they have to use their nose to yeah. find So, and you're in the middle of that process at the moment yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how much time do you have to devote to that it takes a lot of time mm. a lot of time and a lot of commitment um, and indirectly a lot of cost really because your time is free and your travelling expenses and time off work and yeah. so it, it's it's a long costly process yeah yeah and can you tell me any, any rescues you've been involved in that you can remember so, I mean we get about 50 call outs a year so almost one a week yeah uh, it doesn't quite work out like that you'll have a, a mad weekend and it goes yes. quiet the whole range and it can be a, a lady that's wandered off from a nursing home who was actually looking for a false teeth but had got lost on her way to um, a child that's had an argument with his parents and run off for the night so and the whole spectrum in between so yeah. so um, I guess you know either of those when you actually find the person it's and it's successful and you've saved a life um, it must be so rewarding yeah, it is yes. for sure, yes. and and it, that is the payback from the amount of time as Liz was saying you put into training them and all that commitment, and that is your one bit of the reward when you actually make a find. Yeah. This is worth it. Yeah. So that's what it's like for the dogs and handlers, but of course the team need bodies to practice searching for. To find out what that's like, I spoke to Kate Gilliver, and guess what? Her very important role in the team is known as. I'm a dog's body. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell me about what your role in the training is. Okay, well, I'm, I'm a casualty. I go up on the hill or hide in the woods and wait for the dogs to come and find me and then play with them when they find me. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it can be, 
you, know, you, you can go and wait for 10 minutes and then a dog will come along very excited or you can be lying out there for a couple of hours before someone finds you <laughs> in the rain and the wind. Yeah, oh <laughs> and it's great fun. Yeah. Oh. So now I guess if you've been lying there for two hours and you're cold and wet, it's, it's difficult to be enthusiastic, but you've got to when the dog comes to you but you've got to do it you've got you've got to do it but also the, the dogs are really really keen to have a game and and they're really happy to find you so it's not that difficult to get out and play um, so do you, you've got the easiest or the hardest bit of the team to do i've got the easiest job <laughs> <laughs> i can i can lie out there listening to my ipod and chilling out as long as you can take entertainment with you yeah. <laughs> okay well maybe next time take Dogcast radio on the ipod i'll bear that in mind i will yeah <laughs> Bob Farnham is the call-out coordinator for SADA South Wales. So what does his role entail? I'm one of the four coordinators, but primarily the, f- the first response, that as soon as the pager goes off, I uh, ring the number which comes up on there. Usually it's a rescue team, or it could be one of four of the Welsh police forces, and we'll get called out They'll ask us then, well, give us all the information we need to go to the area and they'll tell us what we're looking for, uh, basically every, all, as much information as we need to identify the missing person out there yeah. and give us some general last position scene and everything else like that. Yeah. But um, sometimes all you get is that this person is missing from home and then you've got to work out... Uh, it's been done scientifically with the Americans that for uh, vulnerable elderly people they go certain ways, people with Alzheimer's go different things children usually stay within the first 300 metres of their last position seen and then it ranges out from different people as you go up through the ages and it's uh, you get that information then you decide where you go but first and foremost you do the first 300 metres around the point last seen and if we've got a trailing dog, we'll use a trailing dog to give us a direction of travel. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a big circle, and then you just get the circles getting bigger and bigger. And then at a certain point, you've got to ask the police, how much more do you want? Once it starts coming to a circle, which is a radius of 10 kilometres, so you've got a big area to cover. Yeah. yeah. So once it, gets in, once it starts going from the 5-kilometre circle, you've got to ask them, how much more do they want us to do? Yeah. Or do we have to go back over old ground again? Yeah. Start searching. Now, when you say a trailing dog, what, does, what do you actually mean? The trailing dog is... Um, it, you give it an article of the person who's missing, if yeah. we can. Yeah. Give the dog the scent through his, through his nose. Yeah. And then that dog will then search around to find the trail where this person's gone. Yeah. And when you say trail, are you, you're not talking about the wind tracking there? No, it's no. the actual ground scent. If we've got a ground scent, which will give us a direction of travel, we can then put the search dogs to start searching out. Yeah. Because you couldn't keep a trailing dog going for hours and hours. It's just, if we can get it to give us an indication and a, a good, if it's got, if it just picks it up and then it loses it, well, that's not, that's not a no. trail. But if it goes on for two, three hundred yards, well, we've got a start of an indication, a trail and a direction of travel, and we can just start a fan from from that position. Yeah. And we go, we go out from there. Yeah. And then we bring in the search dogs. And then we bring the rest of the circus and the mountain rescue teams to give us a, a hand as well. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's how we basically start yeah. Yeah. going on for searches. 
So do you actually go to the site? You go on site and um, if I can, I'll get to the. We'll get to the site, and if we have got a trailing dog, we'll ask the police to cordon off where they were last seen. If it's their car, keep uh, Mr. Policeman and his big heavy boots away. But if the police have got a trailing dog, David Powers have got dogs which will pick up on scents like that. They may be there first. They may be able to assist us in giving us the trail, yeah. the direction of travel. Other than that, you've got a 300, 360 degree search circle to start working out from this car but if we've got a direction it cuts our search time down quicker yeah and if somebody wants to commit suicide or something like that we might be there in time yeah so uh, that's what we're that's what we're all about yeah saving lives saving lives indeed wonderful people and very clever dogs to find out more about the team you can visit sardasouthwales.org.uk which we have a link to on the dogcast radio site as well as a photo of the team members you heard here St Bernard dogs accompanied monks on search and rescue missions in the mountains of Switzerland in the 1700s. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Place in the Pack, written and read by Julie Hill. Bob was a dog in the prime of life. He was four years old. He knew everything he needed to know. And he considered himself much too important and grown up to mix with the likes of this pesky puppy his people had inexplicably brought into the house. Just to find some peace away from the noisy newcomer, Bob had barked at the garden door till he was let out. And now he lay sulking on the lawn. He put his head down on his paws and closed his eyes. He thought of how it used to be. He had lived with other dogs before, but they had been so civilised. When he first arrived, there had been lovely Daisy, who must have been, he supposed, a few years older than the age he was now. And there had also been Snooty Clover, who had smelled very old indeed to him. Daisy had played with him, presenting him with irresistible play bows and chasing him around the garden, only to suddenly double back, inviting him to chase her. She had shown him the best places to dig in the garden, especially the places that were mainly soil and had their people running from the house towards them, waving their arms wildly in appreciation of their marvellous digging efforts. Clover had been very different from Daisy. She walked with an awkward, stiff walk, and she had been so slow. It had confused him that she seemed to be totally unaware of him at first, which made him redouble his efforts to make her notice him and play with him. She had stubbornly ignored him. Then, just as he was convinced she hated him, they were out on a walk, and a strange big dog he had never seen before had come over and started barking at him. Bob had whimpered and cowered, terrified. Then... Quicker than he had ever seen her move, Clover was suddenly between him and the strange dog, snarling, protecting him. When the strange dog had gone, Clover sniffed him and gave him a quick lick, checking he was okay. And after that, slowly, they became friends. Daisy, and eventually even Clover, occasionally had let him wriggle onto their own dog bed when he was whining and feeling the loss of his mother and siblings. What a baby he had been then. He remembered how he had gambled about these two older dogs with embarrassment. How patient they must have been, he suddenly realised, 
they had continued and completed the education his mother had begun, teaching him what it meant to be a dog. They had been his friends, become his family. And now he knew it was his turn to do the same for the new puppy. So when his people brought the puppy out for one of his regular toilet breaks, Bob did not growl when the pup approached. Instead, he let him sniff him and lick him, although he did push him away when the young pretender dared to put both paws on Bob's nose. Bob watched as the young dog scampered away, distracted by a bird flying nearby and oblivious to his people's pleas to go toilet. And Bob knew he would soon have his new companion whipped into shape. Oh, yes, Bob would teach him everything dear old Daisy and Clover had taught him. And what's more, he'd enjoy it. He got to his feet, shook the grass from his coat, and trotted off to get started. A pit bull called Dakota became well known when she was one of the search and rescue dogs on the Bring Our Astronauts home team after the Space Shuttle Columbia disaster. Show, we heard Pitbull Nation author Cindy Marabito talk about how she came to love pitbulls and sympathise with their plight once they found themselves in rescue. When Cindy set up her own rescue, she was willing to rehome the breed with those who had no experience of pitbulls if she felt they were the right fit for the dog. Cindy always provided lots of support and developed her pitbull starter kit. So, did she find that first time pitbull owners were most ready to listen to her advice? That's what I was going to say. That's why most of these people who have never had a pet, never had a dog, they've gotten their house or whatnot. And I always, one of the crate training things on the Step 1, 2, 3 Pitbull Starter Kit, I'm real big on crate training because it's their natural instinct to yes. So you're, you're giving them a Kong, you're giving them a job to do, you've trained them on the Kong, you're training them in the crate, and most of my best adopters have not been home dwellers. They've lived in apartments. Mm, yeah. Because guess what? They've crate trained their dog. They're leash training their dog. Every time the dog goes potty, they have to go downstairs and meet people. So every minute of the dog's life is spent in training. Yeah. So that's been real helpful. Yeah. And, um, the people that have never had dog experience or have limited dog experience kind of what catapulted me and the rest of the universe to not like pit bulls, they, they are products of that same uh, media. Yeah. They're yeah. so afraid their dog is going to be the mauler or the, you know, scary uh, dog that they follow every rule, every suggestion to the letter mm. to make sure their dog is perfect. And you know what? Every time, in over 12 years, Every one of these people have perfect, near perfect dogs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, with with that as a background, you decided to do what you could for these dogs. Um, would you read us your mission statement, please? All right, it's to save good-natured, affectionate pit bull dogs from euthanasia by sheltering, training, and preparing them for a lifetime as loving pets to offer training programs for prospective adopters, to create a foster family network for puppies and dogs waiting to enter the reunion training program, to educate the public through media as well as instructional and outreach programs, 
and to provide a model of a positive hands-on solution for other shelters and communities to follow. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that's so excellent. And, I mean, the, the training and, and the support is such a key there. And I love your um, observation that if you can get people to do one obedience class with a dog that they're looking at adopting, they will adopt the dog. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm, I've never done an obedience class but just that interaction that time spent interacting with the dog and you suddenly think yeah this is a lovely dog and to actually you know carry that on and and do the obedience class and build that bond and see the response of the dog you know yes you're absolutely right well they've invested yeah yeah they've invested that hour with the dog and most people won't give up and especially, we're all, we're, the things that we have in common with the pit bulls is we're kind of hammy, too. Yeah. I taught that dog to sit. I already had that dog in the down and the people <laughs> next to me. They, that plays on your um, ego. And once you get people invested in, oh, if they're families, if I have families with children, I ask everybody to at least attend one or two classes together. Yeah. Because what I say You've never seen anything like it when the the little, especially the little girl, because you want to talk about a pit bull Nazi. Little girl, (laughs) love to get those commands going. And you've seen children with their little baby dolls, how they mimic their mother. They do the same with the dog. It it becomes, you know, turn off your TVs. What a great entertainment is uh, spending time with your dog the right way. Yeah, yeah. And watching your kids interact. It's so funny. Arthur, the last dog in the book, his sister Molly, Molly and Arthur came back to me, and we offer a lifetime guarantee. I don't want, uh, I can't save every dog, but if if there is a chance that one is going to end up, you know, back at a shelter, I, I bend over backwards, whatever we can do to get the dog back to me or rehome or whatnot. And so I've had to rehome about 10 or 15 dogs over the years Mm. for whatever reason. Just, you know, life hits people. And Molly and Arthur both came back to me. They were a brother and sister I pulled from the Martinez shelter a year ago. And Molly's dad, he wasn't, he was one of these guys that he wasn't um, your average upwardly mobile sort of person. He looked like he had quite a history, but he was so nice and he was so dog savvy and he really promised to try hard. Well, life hit him sideways and he wound up in jail and so did Molly. I get a call and she's at the Marin Humane Society and, you know, I started scrambling, hit the panic button, got on my, uh, we have an online play group, which is uh, comprised of all of our adopters Mm. and I put out a big notice and I said, can anybody help me foster Molly? I've got to get her out of the Marin shelter, you know, because they're real high kill. And um, two of my adopters jumped in, went and picked her up, fostered her with their dog. And she went, uh, not even a week, she went to a family that had never had a dog before. Mm-hmm. Three kids. And... It has been as imperfect and horrible as the Arthur story is. Mm. This has been a gem of an adoption. She, the mom, and she goes, listen, she goes, we're good parents, but we have rules. And I'll be like, 
you're hired. <laughs> Pitbulls love rules. And they were real concerned about her history. How much history do you have? And the dad was especially concerned. We don't have a pit bull. Our community is all goldens and labs. And everybody in the neighborhood goes, you're not going to bring a pit bull in and blah, blah, blah. And I said, I will walk you through this. Molly's a lovable, wonderful girl. She's a strong dog, but she's a great dog for a first time dog owner in a family, and she loves children. The mm. so mom's main thing is the youngest boy, who's 10, she's worried about he's going to wear Molly out. <laughs> she won't leave Molly. And I'm like, you know what? Let him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let him wear her out. What a perfect. Oh, and the dad who was concerned, she said, I, I, I said, let me make a... Um, let me tell your fortune. I'm going to make a prediction. Hmm. Give it a month, and Molly is going to be your dad's dog. He's going to be Darren's dog. I yeah. guarantee you. Because every female dog that goes into a house, they pick out the one that they think is good, the hardest. And it's usually the dad. It's the yes. hardest sell. <laughs> the other day, Erin called me, and she said, Cindy, you were so right. She goes, Darren, when he comes home at night, he picks her up and carries her. <laughs> this is a 60-pound, 70-pound dog. Yeah. He carries her around like a baby. Oh. And she says, so, I mean, it's amazing, but it's like, I, I wish I could find other wonderful families like that. And they followed the five suggestions, the crating, the Kong training, and yeah. Molly was already concrete, but I said, go back through it. Go back through the six levels because you'll never have to buy another chew toy. The Kong will be it. Yeah. And the flower essences, she had a little bit of dribbling problem from her um, spay. Hmm. And my good friend who I mentioned to you who uh, lives in England, who is English, hmm. Claire, helped me with uh, figuring out what her problem was. Yeah. And so we had her on essences, the Australian bush flower essences. And I asked the families for life, but I asked them if they decide that they need to rush the dog to the hospital, call me for whatever reason, call me first, because I bet it's something I've experienced with the dogs or cats in my life. And I can probably tell you something to go down to Whole Foods and get and save yourself several hundred dollars. And it's a lot healthier. Yeah. And that's what we did with Molly. We got her completely uh, dried up from her. It was uh, associated with her, her spay. And it happens with female dogs occasionally. They'll dribble a little bit. And we cleared it all up with homeopathy, flower essences, and she never had to go to the bed. Yeah, yeah. You oh, and they feed raw. They feed raw. Yeah. That's my big thing. yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you say you feel blessed to be doing what you're doing. I mean, and, and you say it is a, a roller coaster. You, you, you say in the book, rare is the day in rescue when 24 hours passes by without a heartache or a little ray of joy. And the other thing you say, which I love, is you say, this morning I got up and I was glad to get up, you know, and you are making a difference. And you obviously, you know, the, the joyous parts of it, you obviously find joyous. Now, one of the things that made me it made me laugh although it was a, a serious situation because I do find that dog women and it must be the same the world over dog women are just indomitable you know don't get between a dog woman and where she's going because you're going to get trampled and 
what I'm exactly. Ta- <laughs> yeah, what I'm talking about is Sluggo, who you you fostered. Well, you fostered out. You know, the, the guy fostered him, and then just turned around and said, "No, he's mine now." And you know, you and two friends, um, and you say these two gals are the essence of rescue. And if you can tell that story, I mean, I, I think that that's so typical of these very strong dog women that you know find what they need to do in life and do it. Sluggo, oh my gosh, he looked like. Remember the uh, stuffed toy pound puppy? Yes, yeah. And yeah, he looked like a beagley, bassety kind of dog. Mm. He didn't. He was not a pit bull. Now yeah. he looks more pit bullish now that he's seven. But he looked literally. You could pick him up, and it was like holding a sack full of bones, a fur mm. sack of bones. He had no musculature at oh. all. And Sluggo, this is the essence of rescue work. That you go to, you do what you have to do to walk out with the dog. Mm. And I get these, there's, uh, I want to mention in the back of the book, there's a uh, list. And I I just finally got tired. My fingers hurt. I tried to type in and give uh, a shout, throw a bone to all of the wonderful people I've met who, been 24-7 on the internet, on the phone, trying to help animals, the people who spend all their time transporting, the actual rescues like mine. I mean, there are so many people out there really doing the job that these big, expensive uh, corporations that are sending out calendars really should be doing Mm. with all their money. You know Mm. what I'm saying? So anyway, uh, a couple of these other women, we were three little rescues. Barbara, Deirdre, who is an Irish, about seven and a half feet tall, former <laughs> model. And she's the type, she's a whole book. Deirdre, she's beautiful. Mm. She's an Irish Catholic, and Barbara is a uh, Jewish, blonde, Jewish, Southern Californian or Northern Californian artist. And then me, this redneck from Texas. And we... <laughs> found out I was fostering, just like Arthur, fostering to adopt Sluggo. And I have a whole list and a whole criteria we went over, and the man stuck him out in the backyard, a little white puppy that was three months old. Mm. And I kind of got a bad feeling, just like I'm doing with the Arthur thing. I knew there was something not right, and I had no answer, no answer, no call back for about a week. Finally, I called his reference, and it was his mother, and the man called me back and just, you know, blessed me out one end to the other. You don't call my family, blah, 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 this dog is mine. And I was like, one of those nights, and this happens more often than I, and I'm able to help new rescues with this. I'm, uh, I tell them, unless you're completely sure, and I use Arthur as an example because I, there's been a lot of sleepless nights over Arthur. Mm-hmm. Unless you're completely sure about the person, have a foster to adopt set up or something where you have so, or you're going to, you think it's a perfect adoption, but you're going to spend a lot of sleepless nights worrying. Mm. So be, have a program where you're, where you're certain that something bad isn't going to happen. Well, I started worrying about Sluggo and I called my two girlfriends and I, uh, we, we drove to this outlying town 
and we had notified the police and animal control. You know, doing it the right way. We're yeah. going to show up at this house, knock on the door. You're fostering the dog. He's really not your dog. Here's our agreement. Please give us our dog back. Mm. And it was one of those times when I was going there, and I was sick at my stomach because I hate confrontation. Yeah. And I was going, walk out with the dog, walk out with the dog, walk out with the dog. I just say it, chanting it like a mantra, you know, mm. just picturing Sluggo. We're going to we get there, and he was especially close to Deirdre because Deirdre had fostered him. He had looked at her house for mm. a, about a week or two. And we get there, and the animal control guy has his stormtrooper boots, and he gets the big long poles come along with the big <laughs> loop on the end, and we bust it out laughing, and, and Deirdre goes, I don't think you're going to need that. <laughs> and we get there, and there's this little bitty puppy, and we, the guy didn't answer his door. He was not there, but it was blazing hot, 100 degrees, mm. no trees. It was one of these suburban, had, the trees hadn't grown in or whatever, yeah. and just a uh, the the patio with a poured concrete slab, and he's sitting there, and his little eyelids and his little nose were sunburned. Oh. And Deirdre starts to cry. Mm. She is all about the dogs more than any any person I've ever met in my life. She's about the dogs. Mm. She'll go to any lengths to save the dog. And we're talking about a woman who's gone into the hood and taken a Magnum. Mm. Uh, 354 Magnum, and I won't say what she said to the people, but yeah. she put it at the guy's throat and said, okay, blankety-blank, give me blankety-blank dog now. Yeah. And this is a woman. And she's, you know what, You want to? I'll say one thing. She walked out with her dog. <laughs> she had saved more dogs than she really needs. Somebody really needs to take care of Deirdre because the world really didn't do her any favors later on. She's one of the people who became hurt by, you know, too much rescue. Yeah. Anyway, we uh, we knock on the door, and the policeman and the animal control both said, you know what, the guy's not here. We cannot make him give you the dog. But the policeman goes, but you see back there? That's the fire trail. And I didn't get it because I was still so worried and scared we're going to have a confrontation and stuff. But Deirdre got it. She had a lot of street savvy. What he was telling us was, we're going to leave, but you can hop that fence by getting driving back there up the fire trail. Yeah. And the policeman and the animal control left. We drove around to the, you know, the garbage trail where the fire trail ended and, uh, was right by the uh, guy's back fence. Deirdre hiked it over that, and you never saw a happier puppy. He was practically crying. He was so glad to be back with his Deirdre. And then I'll say the the little joke I had on the way home. I started laughing, and I was just so glad that we didn't run into that man that was so scary. And I said, I go, what are you laughing at? And I said, did you hear the one about... The Catholic, the Jew, and the redneck that stole the pitbull. <laughs> oh, that's an excellent story. I, I do like that. Um, yeah, it was a great. It was. It, it, it had a. That one had a good ending. Yeah. Oh, and he went. Well, I got to tell the the tail end of it. Put the tail on the puppy dog. 
I have uh, uh, a couple, Todd and Darren, who had adopted Maddie from me, and that was another perfect adoption mm. nine years ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Darren was uh, Todd's partner and a cat person, very confirmed. Mm. Well, a few years later, Darren decided, I want my own pit bull. And I went, and, and Todd called me, said, Darren wants a pit bull. And we both laughed, and I went, well, you're going to die, but I've got the right pit bull for him, and it was Sluggo. <laughs> it was Sluggo. Yeah. I mean, he, he, oh, and he changed his name to Wiley. Yes. And he is, and to to top it off, they've had Maddie and Sluggo are seven and nine now. Mm. They just adopted, we had a litter of deaf puppies, and they just adopted Henry several yeah. months ago. And they added to their family and mm. saved a little best puppy. So, Aww. yeah, see, uh, you're reminding me of all the happy, wonderful, the good things to look back on. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, a reason to get up in the morning. Absolutely. Um, and uh, you've mentioned Arthur several times. And, I mean, as you say, we, we're on a high note now, and I don't really want to finish on a low note, but you are still looking for help with Arthur, aren't you? Yes. Um, Arthur, it just proves that no matter how many uh, solutions you find, loopholes you cinch up, you're still capable of being scammed. And the people uh, that I fostered to adopt Arthur to, we did a thorough home check, a thorough interview. I did not call the references, okay? Mm. And that was a mistake. From now on, I'll call every reference. Arthur went to a home where the girl works in a medical research lab for the VA. Mm. And they've used, long story short, I just said I wanted the dog back. No one's seen him in four months. Uh, they've used the federal facility. They live in on, on the property in a federally owned home. They've used the police and all of the animal control, everything to their advantage to harbor Arthur, who we've not been able to see or make sure is, you know, in good health. Mm. And my brain goes nuts thinking she is in animal research. What if they're testing on him? Mm. And I'm not saying they are, but show me the dog. Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me pet the dog. Let me pet, let me hold Arthur. Let me take him to my vet and, you know, ha, no. So at this, at that point, that was a month ago, I, I sent him an email and I said the, and I, I, I followed every protocol. I called the animal control, I asked for a wellness check, et cetera, nothing. And I said, the, uh, oh, and I had my friend who is also my attorney, but she called as a friend, as a mediator. And she actually took the girl's side. She said, she sounds like such a lovely person. Cindy, mm. give her another chance. And I'm just like, at this point, they defaulted on the agreement. Yeah. And I just can't, life's too short. I can't worry. Mm. I can't spend the sleepless nights because I'm, I literally stopped me from rescuing. I couldn't help any other dogs. Mm. So I just wrote her an email and I said, you know what, the adoption or the foster to adopt is over. Yeah. You basically need to return Arthur now mm. and then nothing after that. And the woman actually not knowing that Christine, my my friend, was representing 
was taking her side and pleading her case, mm. she, the woman wrote a very uh letter to both myself and Christine, attacking Christine on every level and some of her legal background and stuff. And I, 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 I was able to tell Christine, I said, this is the kind of person this is. You know, you, she snowed you. In other words, she, you thought she was a very nice person, and and I don't, I I saw something there that that didn't ring true. Yeah, yeah. And now, you know, I'm trying to keep it all very uh, above board, you know, documented. Yeah. But that sealed it right there. I don't want him in that kind of a house with that kind of a person. Yeah. And they lied on the application. Mm. Yeah. Well, best of luck with that. And we'll definitely, you know, help Thank people you. find the, the link that they can help Arthur. And I mean, maybe to sum it up, I, I love what you say about when people say to you, well, I'll ask you the question. You, you tell me the answer. I won't give the answer. But people say to you, why did you pick pit bulls to rescue? Oh, yeah, because they are the ones most likely to be killed. Yeah. yeah. And, and used to at the time... When I started my rescue, that was a fact. The pit bulls just filled up every shelter. It wasn't just the one where I was volunteering. They, they, you know, everybody was saying, I don't want to be uh, shelters. I don't want to be look like a house full of pit bulls. Mm. And I, I just laughed because we were all, how, all of the shelters were houses full of pit bulls because they were 75% of the intake. Yeah. So when I started my rescue, they were Oh, routinely being put down, and they still are. But I want to I want to say something on uh, that I noticed. I began to notice when I first started the rescue, and I went in with my you know with the donated camera, and I was taking pictures of the dogs and cats. The only pit bulls you saw around town were being led around by urban youth on a tow chain, mm-hmm. and. I'm not saying this is because of me, but I did notice a difference. And this is something I've noticed across the country. You start seeing middle-aged, uh, gentrified white women walking a pit bull or uh, young, uh, kind of what I call fashionistas, you know, mm. uh, walking their pit bull with their boyfriend. And you started seeing these dogs start to you know, filter over to different neighborhoods. And so I really, I really feel like I've been part of a wave to help. And my goal is to restore these dogs to their, their heritage of being America's first native pitbull breed, or native dog breed. Mm. And yeah. I feel like I got to participate in that. And that's, that's nice of you to remind me because Sometimes at the computer, I sit there and I see all the sad pictures. Like somebody sent one in to me today, and it was a picture of uh, the massacre they held in Denver, Colorado. And it was just a picture of all these dead family pets. Yeah. And there were pit bulls, and there were thousands of them, but they were family pets. Yeah. And I and I don't mean to you know harbor on something sad, but. I had a family contact me when that was going on, and they had lost their dog. He was a dog that they kept on a leash. He never even went into his own yard without a leash. And they knocked on the door during that Denver thing, 
And they said, we're here for your pit bull. And they took the dog and they euthanized him. He didn't die with his family. He died down at a shelter by somebody's hand who mm. he didn't know. He died alone. And that was someone's pet. Yeah. So whenever we think of this breed legislation and we need to think, you know, that's really not the answer. These great, big, huge, let's just clear the problem away with one fell swoop. That's never an answer. Mm. Let's go and let's do some education classes. Let's talk to people. Let's organize our communities a little bit better. Let's quit killing our animals. Yeah. You know, let's not make Cindy Marabito go rescue any more animals. <laughs> let's let's stop killing our, our dogs. And, you know, I'll say something. Uh, it comes around on... Um, a lot of the emails, you know, these ladies have these wonderful sayings that they use as their signatures. And uh, Mahatma Gandhi said, a society is defined by the way it treats its animals. Yeah. yeah. And we talk about the Roman Empire and all these horrible things they did. We're not much better right now. Mm. We're really not. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's be the first society to start taking account of that and, and let's make a change. It's never too late. Yeah. You can teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's pull together and give Cindy Marabito some time off. All right. <laughs> I've had a great time. Cindy's book, Pitbull Nation, is a fascinating read and she is still helping the dogs she loves. You can find out more at pitbullnationonline.com or you can find Cindy Marabito on Facebook via the link on the Dogcast Radio site. A mixed-breed terrier called Rip was awarded the Dickin Medal for Bravery in 1945 for his search and rescue work in the Second World War. Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News Desk. I'm Nick. And I'm Kate. Is your dog able to predict things? Well, apparently 72% of American pet owners believe their dog knows what weather is approaching with 40% believing their dog is able to sense the arrival of bad news. This was the finding of a poll carried out by the Associated Press and Petside.com. Of course, research has shown that some dogs can sense seizures, low blood sugar levels and even earthquakes, so maybe we're only just beginning to learn the extent of what they can sniff out. Something most dogs are able to sniff out is excrement. And while this is an unwelcome behaviour for most dog owners, scientists are putting this ability to good use. Dogs are being trained to sniff out the waste, or scat, of various species of wildlife to help researchers study them. Interestingly, the dogs assisting researchers found the scat most easily between May and October in drier weather conditions, as long as it wasn't hot enough to make them pant. Once trained, the dogs can detect scat at up to 33 feet away and are much better than any human at finding this vital evidence with which to keep track of wildlife. While we're on the unsavoury subject of waste, a student analysing a dried-out sample of human waste from around 10,000 years ago made a surprising discovery. Samuel Belknap III, a University of Maine graduate student, was studying the waste which was unearthed in Texas, USA, and found a fragment of bone belonging to a dog. Not only is it surprising to find dogs were sometimes eaten in the area, but the bone fragment, which scientists believe come from the earliest confirmed domesticated canine in the Americas, proves that domesticated dogs were in the region 2,000 years earlier than previously thought. 
so perhaps in our earliest days, the dog's role as our best friend was sometimes precarious. Indeed, researchers from the University of Cambridge found evidence in a prehistoric burial ground in Jordan that has further implications for our very distant past relationship with dogs. The team unearthed human and fox bones that were buried in the same grave, implying that the fox may have been kept as a pet. The remains have been dated at 16,500 years old. That's 4,000 years older than the earliest known human and dog burial. Well, we may have had a shaky start, but once established as our best and most faithful companion, the dog has had no serious rivals for our affection. Some breeds of dog have proved exceptionally well-loved, and when the American Kennel Club released its annual list of the top 10 breeds based on the number of registrations in 2010, the Labrador Retriever was once again the most popular choice. You can find the other breeds in the top 10 at the AKC website. And that's all from us on the Dogcast Radio News Desk. Goodbye. Border Collies, German Shepherds, Dobermans, Rottweilers, Golden Retrievers, Giant Schnauzers and Labradors, as well as mixed breed dogs, make good search and rescue dogs. I was searching for various background information on pit bulls for this show and came across a thought-provoking article by Christine Crawford about the struggles she had to have her pit bulls accepted as search and rescue dogs and then therapy dogs. There's a link to the article on the Dogcast Radio site and it got me thinking about breed prejudices. Breed-specific legislation is a subject that raises strong feeling on both sides. And it does seem surprising that in a time when we're so careful about stereotyping or labelling people, there are those who are so ready to tarnish and condemn a whole dog breed when clearly many of that breed are not a problem. Good breed notes will point out that while a breed standard describes a typical example of that breed, all dogs are individual and can differ widely. So surely that's the case for all breeds and mixes. Whatever your feelings on pit bulls, it's well worth reading Christine Crawford's article, the last line of which left me with tears in my eyes. But you know by now, I'm a big softy. Till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 0121-288-0922. From the US, you can contact us on our American number, which is 315-849-2022. From any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then 44121-288-0922. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What happened when the dog went to the flea circus? 
He stole the show.